Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test, with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's gonna be sick. And welcome to another edition of the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. I'm Jimmy Murphy. He's Pierre McGuire. And we've got another great guest in line for you here today. Former NHL referee and what do they call him? Rules analyst, I believe, for ESPN. It's a very specific name. Dave will correct me. I know it. But Dave Jackson joining us. Uh, another Montreal native, Pierre, uh, will be joining us. Born on the West Island. And uh, he's a great guy. I know you know him. I know him. Uh, many of our friends know him. I had the pleasure of hanging out with him a lot when I lived up there. Uh, he'll be joining us. He does a great job for ESPN. Really, I, what I love about Dave, you know, he's a former NHL referee, but he's very open to different ideas. He's not stuck and you know, this is it. It's not black and white. He knows there's a lot of gray area, and he's willing to look at things from a different point of view. And I think that's what made him such a good referee. And, you know, I talked to Brad Marchand, actually, after the game last night, Pierre, and because uh, Dave wanted me to pass along congratulations on his 1,000th game. And uh, we got talking a bit, and that's that's what he said. He's, he's just He was one of the best to deal with because he he actually listened, and, and he was willing to adapt just as he wanted the players to adapt. I think he got better over time, and I hope Dave will talk about that, you know, his experience from when he started, uh, especially early on in the American League and then working up into the National Hockey League and then eventually being part of the Sochi Olympics in 2014. Um, I was there. I thought he did a great job in Sochi. That was a really difficult Olympics to uh, to referee just because of the way the teams were playing and there was so much frenetic energy then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Canada was clearly the best team. There's no question. I mean, they were dominant. They were so much better than everybody else, but it's just the way the games were played, um, which was really interesting. And Dave was a big part of that. But, you know, to me, the biggest thing about Dave is uh, he comes from the West Island of Montreal. It's a place that's produced a ton of players, but not nearly as many referees. I, I can think of one who's a good friend of mine and an old golf and ally of mine and Wally Harris. Oh, and, yeah. And Wally's yeah. A, you know, a legendary official. Um, and he's, he's in the uh, Lachine Hall of Fame, believe it or not, in, in Montreal, which is a suburb of Montreal. And, you know, Wally was an amazing referee. The 76 game on uh, New Year's Eve in Montreal, he refereed that game and oh, wow. countless Stanley Cup finals and, and was the longtime supervisor. And I, 
I think he was still a supervisor when Dave actually broke into the league. So I'd be looking forward to talking to Dave about a lot of things. But here's the thing that I find the coolest about Dave. I called him about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, just to compliment him on his son uh, working as a linesman in the National Hockey League. It was a Sunday afternoon game. I was watching from MSG. And I thought his son did a great job. And, and he said, really? You think so? And I'm like, yeah, Dave, he did a really good job. It was fun to watch. I still think referees have no home games. That's important, right? They never have a home game. And nobody really knows who they are until they make a call. And then everybody knows who they are. Yeah. If they make a call that everybody thinks is wrong, they just take it right between the you-know-wheres. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just it's a tough job. I think guys that last a long time are so good at it, and Dave lasted such a long, almost three decades. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal career. Well, let's go to the man right now. He's joining us here on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network. Dave Jackson, how you doing, my friend? Hey, Jimmy, Pierre, how are you? Good, good. Good to see you. I was like running through an airport doing your best, you know, disappearing act, trying to get to the gate on time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 at home in lovely, lovely Denver, Colorado. We're having oh, nice jealous. weather right now. I'm jealous. It's one of my favorite places. It really is. You're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Love it's it tough. here. Well, listen, Dave, uh, he was just he was just talking about your son refereeing. What's what's that been like for you uh to see him kind of come up the ranks now? Oh, it's been, it's been, it's been special. You know, uh, I went to his first game in uh, the NHL. It was a year and I, about a year and a half ago. It was day before Halloween in Chicago at the United center. And uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got to say it's, it's nice that he's a linesman and I was a referee because there's really no comparisons. He's not, he's not trying to be me and right. you know, I'm not comparing myself to him. It's, it's just a completely different job. But having said that, I think that's the first time I really sat on pins and needles every time the puck crossed the blue, the crossed the blue line. <laughs> you know, I'd like when I was refereeing a game, like the lines are missing offside. It's like, that's not my problem. <laughs> He's gonna, but in this game, like every time it crossed his blue line, I was just on edge. Like, Oh, don't screw this up. Don't screw it up. Uh, but it's, it, it's great because uh, the, the thing that's really cool is he goes to all the same cities I went to and mm -hmm. over 30 years, I mean, I met a ton of people in these cities, most oh, yeah. of them related to hockey. And, and now they'll, they'll make a point of coming down to the referee's room and, and uh, saying hi to Ryan and just, you know, introducing themselves. And he gets to meet all the same quality people that I spent, you know, 30 years um, interacting with and, and working with. So it's, it's just really cool. That's great. When did he, did he get like into it on his own or how did that develop? He got into it on his own. So he played college hockey at Manhattanville up in uh, Westchester. Uh, he was uh, captain of his team the uh, junior and senior year. And then when he finished his senior year, he went down right after the season ended and played um, in Fayetteville in the Southern Professional League just to okay. give it a shot. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's when COVID hit. Oh, so um, his season was cut short, came home for the summer, uh, no graduation, and nothing happening. And then um, over that summer, he signed a contract in the East Coast League uh, with, I believe it was Danny Breer in uh, Portland, Maine. Um, and then that whole Northern division ended up not playing because of COVID still. So he was kind of out of a job. He was at crossroads. He didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, maybe go play in Europe. And then um, Birmingham called him day before Christmas and said, you want to come down and join us? So he went down and played about a half, dozen, no, about a dozen games. And then he decided that that's, yeah, that's not for him. Mm -hmm. um, knew he wasn't going to make the NHL. And that's when he said, 
maybe I should try going to the combine. He goes, I've, I've received some emails about it as a former college hockey player. Yeah. Um, I should go to the combine and see what happens. So he applied for it. He was accepted and, uh, the rest is history. That's he, awesome. They liked him. They put him in the American hockey league his first year. So he wasn't on contract. He was just making 150 bucks a game or whatever it is. The linesman makes in the American hockey league, but he did travel coast to coast, worked about 80 games and, um, made an impression. And then a year later, he signed a minor league deal. So he's in year two of a minor league deal up and down between the American league and the national hockey league. That's great. Dave, can you talk about how much mentorship matters to young officials? I know how much it matters to players. I know how much it matters to coaches. How much does mentorship matter to young players or young officials? Oh, it's, it's huge. Pierre. I, I tell people that all the time, I, not even at Ryan's age, go down to the reason we're losing all these kids in minor hockey. They'll sign up for refereeing and a year later they're gone mm -hmm. and they quit because of the abuse. Uh, abuse some parents, abuse some coaches, but there's never any positive reinforcement. Now, the example I use, can you imagine taking your kid in September, you're going to sign him up for hockey and you're saying, I'm signing little Johnny up for hockey. Who's coaching him this year? And they look at you and go, well, nobody. We're going to give you a clinic. We're going to put mm -hmm. you out there on the ice with a couple of coaches, going to explain the rules of hockey, but you're on your own the rest of the year. You're going to figure it out yourself. I mean, the parents, their heads, their hair would be on fire. But that's what we do to young referees. Mm. We sign them up for a clinic. We give them a day and a half, two days of instruction. We give them some videos. We give them a patch they put on their sweater, and it's off you go. And it's yeah. not like that for every every place, but a mm. lot of places, that's it. So when all that negativity is hitting you, you come off that ice and you go, oh, I guess I am no good. Everybody thinks I'm terrible. But guess what? When you come off that ice, you know Doug Hayward. Uh, from Montreal. Montreal. Absolutely. Absolutely. He taught me to referee. He put like 10 guys into the NHL. When you come off that ice surface and people are mad at you and they're yelling at you, and there's a guy in your corner saying, Hey, you did a great job. Don't yeah. listen to those. Don't listen to those idiots that don't know the rules, that only care about winning. You did what we asked you. You might have done this better. You might have done that a little bit better, but we'll work on it. But you're doing a great job. Guess what? None of that negativity matters. You want to come back the next night to please your mentor and go, I want to do this job because he thinks I'm good at it. And that's all it takes. And that's the same at the NHL level. Yeah. Jimmy, I just want – I think that Dave was part of the golden era of officials in the National Hockey League. And I'll just say a few. And, Dave, you tell me if I'm off base or not. Billy McCreary's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Kerry Frazier's a candidate to be in the Hall of Fame. Paul Dvorsky's a living legend. He really was that good as an official. Dan Marielli was an outstanding official. Andy Van Helleman, tremendous official. Stephen Walcom. I'm talking about guys where, you know, Don Koharski, guys that were in the league when Dave was either just breaking in or was established. It's amazing. And now all of a sudden I think it's not that refereeing's a lost art, Dave, and you can speak to it better than I, but it's almost like the referees don't have a persona anymore. And I think that's wrong. I think mm -hmm. it's wrong. All those guys, when I was coaching, I knew what McCreary was going to call. I knew what Jackson was going to call. I knew what Frazier was going to call. Like every referee is different. But I think these guys have kind of lost their identity. I want to, I was curious what Dave thought of that. Well, just A, what you said about breaking in. I broke in. my. I started my first training camp. It was 1986. Mm -hmm. And I got to go to training camp with, I mean, not just the guys you mentioned, but there was guys like Bob Myers and, yeah. um, you know, uh, Ron Hogarth, Denny Morrell, all the guys even before mm -hmm. that, before yeah. that era. And these were guys I watched on TV. But then I got to, you know, I got to skate. At training camp with Paul Stewart and Billy McCreary and Marowelli and Devo and Coho and all these guys. And I'm on the ice going, like, this is this is amazing. <laughs> and then 
did my first NHL game in 1990 at the old Coliseum in Quebec. Guy Lafleur was on the ice with me, so that was another blew my mind growing he up. Was in Montreal. Really about Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, I ended up going full time in the NHL in 1993, and we did seven years just one referee, one referee, two linesmen. So the bad part of it for me was breaking in, and the NHL was tough. You're by yourself out there. I mean, sure, the linesman could help you, but unlike today where you can have a mentor on the ice, you know, Wes McCauley will work with, with a young referee. Mm -hmm. Dan O'Rourke, uh, guys like that will work with young referees. You're out there by yourself swimming. There were nights, man, I was drowning. They just, yeah, like, yeah. I was doubting my own ability going, like, I shouldn't be out here. But I got to work. A lot of these guys stayed on. So Van Helleman and those guys retired. But we still had Koharski and Marowelli. Um, those guys were still working when we went to two-man system. I got to work with these guys. And even though I'd been in the league seven or eight years at that point, I did 500 games as one referee. I got to do games now, playoff games and stuff with Don Koharski, with, with Bill McCreary. And the things you learn, the respect that they're given, just sort of, it rolls off them to you. I mean, yeah. and they're not going to let anybody abuse their partner. So they kind of look after you, even though I've been in the league seven, eight years. <laughs> I, I think now, uh, Pierre, what, what, what I think the refereeing is great. I mean, I think the guys are good. They're much better athletes than we ever were. Um, but I think we've just, the fact you don't recognize so many of them is that in 2000, we went from, I think our full-time referee staff, one referee, we had 13 referees. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden overnight in 2000, we went from 13 NHL referees to like 24 or 25. And now that was 2000. So 23 years, say, go back three years, 20 years later, these guys are all retiring at the same time. Yeah. So all these names you recognized for two decades, they're all just year after year after year leaving. And then these new guys are coming in. Yeah. So I think it's a transition period. I think, Pierre, within the next four or five years, a lot of these young guys will be stalwarts and you'll know their names and they'll, they'll be the go-to guys. Here, here's what I'd like. Here's the friendly compromise. I watched so many games, probably like everybody listening to the show or participating in the show. I noticed on every bench, the teams have the names of the referees taped to the glass. That never happened when I was doing it. No. That never, Dave, you were refereeing no. when I was coaching. No. That never happened. Yeah. And it was never no. like Jackson USOB. It was like, Dave, could you come here? Everybody was yeah. on a first name basis. It was. Yeah. Oh, wow. My compromise is I think that every referee and linesman should not have a number. I think their name should be on the sweater. I really do. I think it'd be better for the officials, and I think I it would be better for the league. Writer, I would love it. Well, growing up, uh, you know, you're doing minor hockey. Your goal is to get the NHL so you get your name on the back of the sweater. It's so cool. And I got to do four years of my name on the back of the sweater. <laughs> when they took it off, I was kind of bummed, but then I realized once it once they took it off, I've been in the league long enough. Everybody knew who I was. Knew, yeah. <laughs> when I screwed up a call, they'd still yell my name. They didn't need the program <laughs> for that. So, <laughs> But it's funny because – there was one game when Michel Therrien took – I believe he took over Pittsburgh midseason, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Um, yep. And I'm doing a line change, and he's screaming his head off at me. He wants me to come over. I'm, I'm, no, I'm kind of at the face-off dot, and he's, he's in front of the bench, and he's yelling at me. He wants an explanation about something, and he's saying, Don, get over here. Don, I want to talk to you. So I'm, not even, I'm, not even, I'm not even looking at him, and he's losing his mind because he, he, he can't believe that I can't hear him, but he's calling me Don. <laughs> so, so finally finally like this went on for like 15 seconds so finally i turned i gave him like, me me he goes yeah you so i went over to the bench 
And I went, Who the hell's what? gone? <laughs> no, I, I, I think I said something along the lines of, Marco, what's going on? He goes, what? I go, Marco, you're standing there screaming your head off at me. And he goes, my name is Michelle. And I go, it's not Marco? <laughs> he says, no, it's Michelle. And now the players are laughing and everything. And I went, well, mine's Dave. It's not Don. And then, and then he went, ah. And then we had a, we had a good conversation. But it's funny. Just about knowing someone's name goes a long way. It, it really does. And that's why I think it would make a big difference. Because, you know, we have such a high transition in the coaching ranks. We have yeah. a big transition in the referee ranks. We've got more young coaches than ever before. Most of yeah. them don't even know who these officials are. And I think it would, it's just a food for thought that I think that's one way the league could improve something is put the names back on the official sweater. I really do think it would make a difference. Well, it's funny you talk about names. Uh, the best linesmen in the league know the first name of every centerman in the, in, in the entire league. Completely, they don't say, hey, hey, blue, hey, white, get yeah. your stick down. So, Jimmy, get your stick down. Pierre, you wait. I want him down first. I get Jimmy down. Pierre, you put your stick down. And yeah, yeah. it's amazing how you respond when somebody knows your name. Yeah, and I totally agree, and that's why. I, yeah, yeah. That's why I, I, think when, I really when personally I, believe that. I, I, I think it'd be it'd go a long way towards everybody being more civil too. I really do. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, Anzi Kopitar, his first year with LA, high draft pick. I never refereed him. We're early uh, mid October. I'm doing a Kings game. Who's this Kopitar kid? I see him on the lineup. Oh, high mm -hmm. draft pick. Never done a Kings game with Kopitar on the lineup. There's a play we're recycling, and I'm trying to get out of the way. Kopitar picks the puck up, and I'm trying to get out of his way. And in a loud voice, he goes, just stay there, Dave. Don't move. And he goes <laughs> by me, and he, you know, goalie makes a save or whatever. And I skipped, and I go, how do you know my name? He goes, I make it a point of learning people's names. It's just a respect factor. This yeah. kid was a rookie. The kid had 20 games in the league at this point. Initiative. That's initiative. And that just made such an impression on me. He's a special guy. He, he's yeah. not only you can see why he's a captain and a leader, but he's a special player too. Yeah, Absolutely. You, I mean, yeah. you told me about him, Pierre. Like he, because I get to deal with Bergeron for so long, which was amazing. Um, and you've told me they're very similar in that respect. Dave, going back to what you're saying, just about you know the abuse that we see a lot in the younger ranks in, in kids hockey, high school hockey, you know what have you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How much has that affected the way these kids are brought up when they get to the NHL and how they act and, and, and view the referees? You know, how much is it rubbed off or are these kids able to kind of formulate their own opinions of refereeing as a whole? Well, they, they, they have to pretty fast when they get to the NHL level. You either adapt or it's you know game over. Yeah. Uh, most NHL referees aren't going to take too much abuse, but yeah. we are very we are very tolerant. I mean, 
my 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 judgment is no better than your guys' judgment. My judgment is no better than the guys playing the game. Mm-hmm. It's just I have the stripes and I'm judge and jury. I get the final say. But if you don't like my call, you you're you're free to tell me you don't like my call. Respect. You don't get a you don't get a vote, but yeah. I'll listen to you. Uh-huh. I'll listen to you. But when it starts naming, I'll back you up on that too because I know that's how you did your business. I know yeah. that for sure, both as a coach and as a TV broadcaster. I was down there. Yeah. I totally well, thank agree. You. Yeah, thank totally. you. But you know, but when it crosses the line, when you become disrespectful, when you start calling me names, when you start uh, inferring things about my intelligence or whatever, that's when it crosses the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, can you imagine a referee going over to a player and or a coach and asking him, you know? What kind of line change was that, or what, what kind of yeah, what, 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 what was that play? Like, what was that? What was that pass? You put it right on his stick, you dummy! Like, yeah. I mean, they, they'd be they'd be amazed. They yeah. you can't talk to us that way. But it just seems that it's a one way street. They they feel mm-hmm. that you can't talk to us that way. But we can say whatever we, ever we want, and you can't. It's got to be a two way street. It's got to be mutual respect. Do you think it would yeah. help more if if coaches at the younger levels? kind of said what you just said to the players and kind of, you know, don't worry about what your parents are saying up there or people in the stands. You need to learn to respect the rest because when it comes down to it, you know, when you get to the next level, it's going to be you and him, not you and them. I think it starts behind the bench in minor hockey. It should, I mean, it should start at home, obviously respect yeah. in general. Yeah. That's what but I figured. Especially in the U S we have so many first generation hockey players. Mm-hmm. The parents didn't play hockey and they bring their kids, and their kids become great hockey players, it's up to the coach to teach that respect. It's up to the coach maybe to have meetings with the parents preseason, go, listen, I don't want to hear abuse of the officials. If I got something to say to the officials, I'll say it as a coach. Yeah. You guys cheer your kids on and watch them play. Stay out of the abuse of the officials. That would be good. Jimmy, one of the coolest things I think for anybody that's been in hockey was to have the privilege of being in Sochi at the Olympics because it was way different than any other Olympics. Dave, I think you can speak to that. You and I were there together. Do you have any great takeaways from the Sochi Olympics? I got a bunch, both on the female side and the men's side in terms of hockey. What's your takeaway from Sochi? Well, the, the hockey, well, the, the whole thing. I mean, I never pictured myself going to Russia, for one thing who does it's just sort of a foreign land you're not gonna so i got to go to russia which was really cool we flew chartered nonstop. uh we stayed within the within the walls of the olympic park so we didn't have to go through security every day we had free reign we got tickets to the winter sports skiing curling figure skating all that kind of stuff we got to see all the women's games some great hockey being played there and we went to most of the games that we weren't involved with with men's hockey so we get to see uh, U.S. play Russia. I believe that was T.J. Oshie on the penalty shots. I mean, that yeah. was amazing. Um, they're just and and you got to meet other officials that weren't NHL officials from all over. And it's amazing, you know. I think as North Americans, we take for granted that everybody speaks English. Yeah. And you know, we had guys from Germany and Russia and Sweden and Norway. Um, they all spoke great English. Yeah, uh, the language of the game in English. I couldn't go over there and expect them to expect me to speak their language. I mean, it was just it was a great humanitarian thing for me to just meet all these people and all the cultures and everything. And the hockey was great. And I mean, they treated us so well. It was just it was a blast. Jimmy, what I remember the most, I have to tell you this, Dave might not remember, but I was with Dave and a bunch of the officials after one of the games. And we were talking about where the officials were staying. And it was, and I can say it, I've been in Russia a lot, probably 25 or 26 times. 
<laughs> and the building looked beautiful. Dave, it looked like a castle, right? It was magnificent. I'm, and then it's typical Russian. It looks beautiful on the outside, and you get to the inside, and it wasn't so beautiful. Oh, Things are falling apart. You didn't want to slam the door too hard because you're afraid the plaster was going to fall from the ceiling. <laughs> We were, we were all talking the one night, and like, just don't slam the door to our son's coming down on top of you. Well, I rem guys, I remember, too, all the media things coming out on Twitter. Like, the, a lot of reporters were saying, man, what did we walk into here? I mean, this is <laughs> this is kind of third world here. And But, yeah, yeah, it must have been a hell of an experience. I want to ask you, Dave, just on the ice, you talk about dealing with different cultures and referees, but also just seeing, you know, these different players. I know you see players internationally here in the NHL, but how much did you learn about the different – hockey around the world and, and how people had their passion for it everywhere. Well, I mean, as different as we are, there's so many similarities too. Yeah. I mean, you get into the locker room with these guys and once you're in the locker room, they're teammates. Yeah. They're, they're, they're teammates. And I, and I think it's much like North American hockey. You got guys that come from all over, but when they're on that team, so you're in that team, you just, you just watch how they, take their equipment out of their bag, how they, how they lay their equipment on the ground, the questions they ask going into the game, like, Hey, what, what are we going to do if this happens? Uh, how do you like to handle certain situations? And really across the board, it's, it's very similar. That's awesome. I think the only difference is, I mean, I'm biased. I think the NHL is the greatest hockey league in the world. Mm -hmm. It plays a different style of game. It encompasses all the games. You've got finesse, you've got uh, control mayhem, you've got some violence, you've got big body checks not every league has that yeah and not every referee gets to experience all that so you're going to experience things that maybe aren't you know typical circumstances that you come across game to game whereas i think the nhl guys have that experience where we've seen it all we've yeah. seen all where you, we, we've seen finesse we've seen bench clearing brawls so nothing mm -hmm. really catches you by surprise good stuff sure, that's a fair point too that's good all right. We were talking on text there, Dave. I said, you send me a memory. And I couldn't find it, by the way, but I do remember yeah. the game. Well, send me a memory. Show all 60 minutes of it if you tried to yeah, find yeah. a memory so, of it. So uh, you were talking about a game between the Bruins and the Canadians in 2009. They had just found out they were going to play against each other in the playoffs. And I, I do remember this because I remember writing the stories about that and why it turned out. That game specifically turned out to be kind of crazy. Yeah. But, just tell them what you were telling me in the text about your ride home. <laughs> so I'm working with uh, Paul Dvorsky and mm -hmm. uh, Mark Shuchuk, uh, veteran linesman now, number 92, great yeah. linesman. Uh, he'd never worked playoffs, and he was having a good season, and he had a pretty good feeling he was going to get playoffs finally. He'd been in the league four or five years at this point, yeah. and uh, so we got to sign this game. It was, it was a big game in the sense that the, the standings were determined, so it wasn't going to affect the playoffs, but it was a big game. It's Montreal-Boston. They're always big games. Yep. And it was, I believe it was a Thursday night and the season was ending Saturday. And like you said, they were going to play each other the following Tuesday, game one of round one. Message sending time. So it was message sending time. The result yep. of that game didn't matter. It was message sending time. So we were in a locker room, you know, half an hour before the game. We're just sort of, our skates aren't even on yet. And where we sit, we're behind, underneath the, the grandstand. And you can hear the feet and, you know, Go Boston, go Montreal sucks, Habs suck. Whatever. The fans were into it, and Shuchuk's going, wow, this is pretty intense. I go, yeah, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good game. So we get out there on the ice, and we're skating around. The fans are just going nuts. Boston hits the ice. Montreal hits the ice. It's like a playoff game. So I turn to Shuey. I go, this is like closest to playoff atmosphere you're going to find. Yeah. But we didn't know it was coming. We dropped the puck. I, I think we had nine fights that game. 
<laughs> we just had guys jumping guys. I mean, it, it was crazy. I mean, yeah, I, I remember, remember one situation. Uh, Mike Commissaro was probably the toughest guy in Montreal, or one of, one of the toughest I guys. Been, yeah. Yeah. And, and Chara came into a scrum that Commissaric was already involved with, poked him in the chest and said, you and I are going. It's like, okay. And it's just, I mean, for Chara to do that for no reason, like they were sending messages here. Oh, yeah. And there was about nine fights. We had scrums every whistle. We just had guys in the box. All I mean, I, I, I'd love to see the score sheet to see how much five-on-five five time was played because we had guys in the box all night. It was crazy, but it was fun because – you don't get a lot of these games with that kind of animosity and everything. Yeah. And the best part was too, you weren't screwing someone's playoff chances. Like it was, you know, if we bury this team tonight, maybe they're going to miss the playoffs or whatever. I mean, it was right. just a good old old fashioned hockey game. So game ends, we go have a, you know, have a, have a beer or two and go to bed. But because I was living in Montreal at the time, I drove to the game. So stayed overnight and I'm driving home next morning. And I flick on the Boston sports radio for two hours. I had to listen to how bad I had screwed the Bruins because I come from Montreal <laughs> and, and I'm a, I'm a Homer. And I just, I just stuck it to the Bruins all night long. And you know, this, this, needs, to be, right this, around here. this <laughs> needs to be looked at. This needs to be looked at because this kind of Homerism can't be tolerated and all that. And I'm in the car and I kind of losing my mind going, are you kidding me? Like I was just doing my job, but right, right. around Burlington, Vermont, you know, he started losing the station. So I flick on TSM. team 990 at the time, what it was with, you know, Mitch Melnick and those guys. And for the next two hours, I got to listen to Montreal sports people say what an anti-homer I am <laughs> and how I went out of my way to screw the Montreal Canadiens just to prove I'm not a homer. <laughs> and I'm in the car saying to myself, I can't, I can't win. Yeah. <laughs> I can't win. I want to do my job. And both sets of hockey fans think that I'm either a homer or anti-homer, and I was out to screw their team. And I just, But that's, that's the nature of the beast, and that's yeah. something as a referee. You're really the only guy out there that really cares about the integrity of the game. Yeah. Everybody else is cheating because they're not cheating or not trying. Right, Pierre? Right. Yeah, no, right. Oh, You're also yeah. seeing it through one set of glasses too. You have to see it right. from all sides. So, yeah. So Jimmy, I, I wanted to ask, you know, David, because this is really important. The, the league has changed because a lot of the buildings have changed too. And Dave's one of the few guys that's actually can say he worked in a lot of the old buildings and worked in the new buildings. So you've been in the Coliseum. That's where you did your first game. You refereed in the Forum. You were in the Odd in Buffalo. You were in the stadium in Chicago. You were in the old Boston Garden. Yep. It, the league was different then, Dave. You know oh, that. Man, it was different. It really it was. was. Different. One of the things, Jimmy, and, and not too many – I don't know if Dave ever had to do this drive or not. When you were the visiting team going into the old Spectrum and you took the drive down the driveway into the spec, I'm telling you, there were guys on the bus shaking. I'm not kidding you. What was it like as a referee to go into those older buildings, Dave? Well, we never got to drive down into that tunnel. We had to walk. <laughs> they, made, they made us park out in the parking lot, hoping, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you took your skates out of your hand as you were walking to the car. Um, yeah. But, yeah, go, no, you're absolutely right, Pierre. Uh, there was so much character. There was so much. There wasn't a cookie-cutter stadium. I, I think I got to work all of them except the, uh, the corral in Calgary and the, um, the one in Detroit, which was the uh, – Oh, no, no. sorry. Oh, the Olympia, right? The Olympia. Olympia. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Those are the only two I never worked. Uh, the old St. Louis barn, the place in Minnesota. Uh, they were all great buildings, and every one of them was different. Every yeah. single one of them was different. And as a referee going into Boston Garden, going into the Spectrum, uh, Montreal Forum, Maple Leaf Gardens, just the, the reverence you would have 
for what had gone on in years past in all these yeah. buildings, but also the fan base, like the fan base in Philly, the fan base in Boston Garden. I mean, the top tier of Boston Garden, you could have flicked a quarter and it would have landed on the ice. Oh, yeah. I mean, you hear everything. Fans were on top of you. And I mean, you didn't really feel protected. You felt yep. like you were in in mayhem. So I can only imagine what it felt like for a player. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I tell you what, if you couldn't get up for those games, then you were in the wrong mm -hmm. business. You're in the wrong job because I tell you what, fear is a great motivator. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, was. It, it was it was great. As a 25-year-old kid being in charge of the game, one referee, it was it was intimidating. That's insane. 100%. You know, and you talk about the garden there, you can hear everything. I'm going to tell you guys a quick funny story here. So I think it was – so when Glenn Wesley was with the Bruins, late 80s, early 90s, guys? Yeah, because he management and ownership changed in Hartford. So 94, 95, he went to Hartford. So he was okay. there. Okay, all right. So he's there for a good stretch there. And for some reason, my grandfather used to take me to all the games, and for some reason he just fell into my grandfather's doghouse. He was like, that's the guy I'm going to harass all the time. He would – every time he'd come on the ice, he'd make a mistake. My grandfather's letting him hear it. But the problem was, guys, his previous scape scapegoat was Eddie Westfall. And so he kept calling him Westfall. <laughs> and so unbeknownst to us, his wife starts sitting three rows behind us. And oh, so boy. she comes down and she goes, excuse me, could you tell your grandfather that my my husband is Glenn Wesley and he'd just appreciate if he gets his name right. <laughs> 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 but that's what Dave was saying. You can hear everything there. So I can't imagine what it was like for a ref being able to hear all the stuff that was being hurled at you there. Well, you were so worried about just getting the call right on the ice. Uh -huh. And as Pierre can attest to, games were played differently in Boston, Buffalo, and Chicago. The rink was only, what, 15 feet shorter? Yeah. yeah. But well, 15 yeah. feet times 85, you'd be amazed because I believe the end zones were the same size. Neutral zone was shrunk. So yeah. there was there was no neutral zone. Like you'd come out of your own end, and you're in the other team's end. Yep. And Boston, uh, Buffalo, Chicago, like they they built their teams around these rinks. Yeah. And they yeah. had big yeah. bruisers. And so people talk about how much better the game would be on an Olympic size rink. I disagree. No. There's way too much space and time. Yep. Way too much space and time. You beat a guy coming out of the corner. You still got a guy that can get to him before he gets to the net. Yeah. In the Boston Garden, man, like there'd be a hit and you'd be focusing on it and it'd be another hit like beside it and you turn, but you missed it. And as you turn <laughs> to missed it, there's another one happening. You missed that one and you're playing catch up. It was, it was incredible, but it was fun. You know, yeah. uh, I miss those days. Pierre, I mean, you told us how you would strategize. Uh, oh, yeah, you strategies around the different buildings in the league and those old buildings are a lot different. You know, Dave said something that was really interesting. He didn't referee a game in the Calgary Corral. I never coached the game in there, but I've run practices in there. And just to show you what he's talking about, this is when they moved from Atlanta. That's where the Calgary Flames played. They played okay. in the Calgary Corral. And then they went into the Saddledome. Yeah, and then they went in the Saddledome, but it was right next door. So if you were in Calgary, and back in those days, we were flying commercial. Dave, you know, we were flying commercial all the time. So there's no worse, there's no worse feeling than having a controversy with the visiting team. Go to the airport next morning at 6 a.m. You board first. Guess who's coming on after you? 23 players and the coach and the GM walking right by you. Just you bury your face in the newspaper. Yeah, so so we I remember we were in Calgary once, and I'm running the practice, and uh, we were practicing line changes. And the boards were really high. They were about a foot and a half taller than the regular boards. And Joey Mullen jumped over the boards, and he hurt his ankle. 
and he missed it. He missed the game the next day. I got in so much trouble from Scotty. Scotty was ticked off me. He goes, what would you be practicing line changes for in that rink? I was like, I'd never been in it before. I had no idea the board for that much higher. And it just shows you how different. And in those yeah. days, when I wish you, still play, you go look at the roster size of the Calgary Flames back in those days when they played in the corral, they were gigantic guys. Like their team was humongous. And they would just pulverize people physically. That's what they would do. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about baseball is each still have team that. still has their own footprint, you know, and they have a stadium yeah, yeah. built for their team. And it's just, there's some uniqueness to it. It's, yeah, it's really cool. Totally yeah. sure. Dave, we got a couple people in our comment section there. They And the common theme that everyone's talking about is the offsides rule. And I know you and I have talked about this a couple of times, but just what's your take on where that's at right now with the league? Well, I, I think Commissioner Batman said it best years ago. He goes, be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. Be careful what you open because there's no, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yep. Which has happened. So you have the technology now and if we get rid of it and then we have a goal scored in game seven, of the Stanley cup finals, that's a foot offside mm -hmm. and the team wins the Stanley cup. When we have the ability to negate it, what do you do? So th there has to be, I, it, it's here to stay, but I, I don't. I don't believe the game, the rule, was ever designed for the tolerances that we're trying to hold it to now. Yeah. So we really are. I have a compromise. I have a compromise for this whole offside thing, Jimmy. I've shared it with you both on and off the air, and I want to hear what Dave says. Once the puck touches the top of the blue paint, going into the attacking zone, everybody's onside. That's the compromise. The puck has to touch the top of the blue. All the other stuff goes away. The, once the puck touches the top of the blue, everything's onside. It, it, then you can't – there'll be no mistakes. Because yeah. if the puck hasn't touched the blue, you're offside if you're ahead of the play. But if the puck touches the top of the blue, you're not offside. You're onside. And I really think if they did that, look at how tight the margins are, Dave. When you make those calls, they're like this. But if you see that much white ice – everything's yeah. offside but if Fine. you don't see that white ice it's onside yeah. well i i like it and you use other things you can do if the defensive team gains possession and control then it's negated it's yeah then, then it's negated like you yeah. had you should have got the puck out you should have got the puck out you didn't because what frustrates fans is 45 seconds of cycling and they bring it back for a one inch offside 45 seconds earlier yeah so if it you had nothing talk, to do with the actual goal no yeah. Other thing I think you could do you is do you both those things, Dave and Jimmy. I, I think you'd almost make it 100% foolproof. I really yeah, do. Sure. Or no, you could put a line. You could put a line, say 12 inches inside the blue line. Oh yeah. It, so it's almost like a second offside. The linesman still calls the blue line tight to the best yeah. of his ability. Mm -hmm. But let's say he misses it and they want to review it. If it's not offside at the second line, it's there's no review, and you're yeah. going to say, well, it's the same tolerances. However. Linesmen don't miss 12-inch offsides very yeah, often. So, it's, yeah. so it's going to only happen once a month. It's yeah. not going to happen once every game. Yeah, the only problem I have with that is we're trying to cultivate new fans, and yeah. they already want to know what's this line for, what's that line. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's a good point. That's, That's a good only, point. The only one I would say, but I totally agree, because they yeah. don't miss by 12 inches. They're missing yeah. by centimeters or millimeters. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're not missing by a lot, these guys. They're so good. Yeah. And the you other know? the other one I've heard mentioned yep. 
is how about if the defenseman gives up the blue line, there's no such thing as offside. Wow. I like that. So if you're skating, yeah. if you're skating uh, two on two, for example, and you're the puck, let's say you're skating one on two on one. Okay. And yeah. you're skating with the puck and the defenseman's, you know, if he crosses that blue line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Going backwards, and he still doesn't poke check the puck off you, the line's gone. Yeah. Almost like, almost like soccer type of thing. So if that if the defenseman skating backwards gives up the blue line, there's no more blue line. He has to engage the player before he gets to the blue line. Otherwise, there's, there's no offside of the blue line. I'd have to war game that one a little more, but I like the creativity. Yeah. No, I do. I think, yeah. but I, so I think, you know, I was a big proponent of taking the two line pass out of the game. I wanted the red line out of the game. Which and, is great. I think it's one of the greatest I, things that's happened. And, you know, I remember somebody at the league office calling me up. He, we'll talk about his name later. I don't want to embarrass him on there. He says, you better be right. Cause if you're not, your career is over. I said, no, I'm right. I know it's going to work. It's going to mm-hmm. work. Percent, it's going to work. Uh, but that one I want a war game, but I think there's a little bit of good stuff in that, Dave, what you just talked about. My biggest concern now is what happens in a playoff game if that is the rule and somebody misses. Is that a re- video review situation or is that interpreted by – do you know what I'm saying, Dave? I, I just – I don't know how that would work out. I'm an ideas guy. I'm not a d- details guy. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm just throwing I'm that in your life. Now, you guys do the work. <laughs> you find the solution. <laughs> Let me ask you, and Gary, you would know too, but both of you will know better than me. But just for our fans to know this, because it is, it has become a source of frustration with fans. And I, I want them to know, I imagine stuff like this is going on a lot, right? The the banter yep. we're having right now, the ideas tossing around. I mean, the league does care. The refs want to get it right. The linesmen want to get it right. The league wants to get it right. But just, you know, talk about what you've seen over the last few years in terms of the efforts of everybody involved to get it right and, and appease the players and the fans. Well, from an on-ice perspective, what bothers me is when people go, if it's anything close, the linesmen just wave it. Or if it's close on goal interference, the referee just waves it. Yeah. Because because yeah. he knows replay will bail him out. Untrue. 100% yeah. untrue. Whether you're a linesman or a referee, you want to get that call right. Exactly. Oh, sure. A linesman, a linesman could wave every close play if he wants. Too close to call, I'm going to wave it. But guess what? You're going to be the guy, because they keep stats of everything now. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the guy that had 24 offside goals overturned when everybody else had two or three. That doesn't look good on your resume. No. That, that no. means you don't have any, any guts, you don't have any judgment, yep. you're not doing your job. These guys don't think about, oh, there's review to bail me out. No. They still referee like there's no cameras, and they want to get it right. They have a lot of pride, and I just want to say that. So, Jimmy, just so the fans at home understand, the referees are rated every game. 
And at the end of the year, if you haven't got a high enough rating, and Dave can speak to this, you're not working in the playoffs. And that's substantial income for a lot of these guys postseason, right, Dave? I mean, they're, they make oh, more yeah. money the longer they go. It's, it, so this is really important stuff. So anybody that says that, I totally back Dave up on this, about yeah, lines. That is not true, 100% not true. Dave, I want to throw one other thing at you because you were you could have been the beneficiary of this. I've talked to Jimmy about it. I've had this theory about too many people on the ice for a long time, and it's not the officials' fault. The game's better officiated with more officials. I, I believe that. But here's what I'd like to see. Three officials on the ice. One referee, two linesmen. A fourth official is sitting upstairs like they have in soccer. He's got all the video monitors there. He's only got direct contact to one person on the ice. That's his partner, the other official. The players are aware that there's somebody upstairs. Officiating groups travel in teams like they do in baseball. That's what I would propose. So you would rotate. Let's say you had to work three and five, Dave, three and five with time zone travel. One guy would get two games on the ice. One guy would get one. And if you're injured, you can still work upstairs. You're not missing games. I personally think there'd be more room on the ice. It'd be much more seamless in terms of going to video replay. And the players know when there's an eye in the sky, they can't get away with stuff behind the play. Mm -hmm. They know. The guy upstairs sees everything. So I just think that's something that would prolong NHL careers. It would not cost any more money. And you would I think it would be way more refined in terms of the everyday approach for the officials. And guys' careers would last longer. A couple things. And I love the way you're going. I really do. I would say if you're going to do that, though, it was it become a fifth official. And okay. the reason I'll the okay. reason I will say that is because you talk about prolonging guys' careers. You're only prolonging the guy's career in the press box. The guy on the ice, you're now expecting to go end to end like you did back in the old one referee day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're you're down at 45. Yeah. When I, retired at, when, I retired at 50, when I retired at 54, there's not a chance in hell I could have gone end to end and kept up with these guys. Couldn't do great it. Point. No, so you're taking guys, you're taking guys off the ice. And the other thing is there's not a chance in heck that I could have got the restraining call. You remember the game back in the 90s where Mario Lemieux, we used to think he was a complainer, like, oh, come on, you're getting hooked. He was getting hooked. He was he was Fred Flintstone playing a Princeton, scoring touchdowns with three guys on his back. <laughs> like, hey, Mario Yonder, Lemieux would have 200 goals a year now. Younger Yonder would have been a tight end in football. He would have got a lot more money. I mean, he's oh, getting like, every single game. But the reason we couldn't – I'm not saying that, – that, that was the standard. But if we like today's standard and how guys can be creative, there is no way one referee chasing the play on the ice can see those calls and get those sight lines. Yeah. And you can't rely on the guy in the press box because he's going to have to rewind it two or three times to make sure the call's right. And then you're going back retroactively. So I like the idea of having an extra guy up there prolonging guys' careers. But you need two guys in the ice. And I don't see it as being too crowded because we always had a guy on the goal line, even in the old one met one referee. The guy in the neutral zone is not really in the way. He's backing out of the way when it comes at him, and he's in the end zone. Yeah. So I do like your idea. I just think keep it forward and add a fifth guy if you want. So I, I actually like the uh, – that's a good compromise, Jimmy. I think that's really smart, actually. I didn't think yeah. about the older guys chasing back and forth, but I like that. That's, that's good, Dave. Thank you. That's really good. Yeah. Good stuff. I like Dave. where you're going, though. More jobs. Dave, before we let you go, how's the job going? We even talk about your job. My well, job, my job is great. ESPN's a great company to work for. They've been great with me. Uh, they, 
they stayed with me through my uh, learning curve. I'm still learning. I mean, yeah. you know, as Pierre, I'll say, how long were you in t television, Pierre? 25 years? Like, yeah. you know, uh, you learn something new every game and you try yeah. and get better every game. And that's what I try and do. I try and get better every game. And it's just the reps, more and more reps. And I love the football guys because they get four minutes sometimes to explain yeah. a, a call. Keep going back to them. I get 20 seconds. I get 25 seconds. Uh, and if I misspeak, I don't get a chance to then correct myself, you know, yeah. 10 seconds later. I'm gone. I just hope Four to do a better speak. job next hit. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's trying at times, but it's, it's great. I get paid to watch hockey and I get paid to try and educate the fans. And that's, I think that's how you cultivate new fans. If you're watching a game you don't understand, you're going to be less inclined to watch. If you understand yeah. the rules of a, of a sport, you're more inclined to, to watch it and become a fan of it. Yeah. And understand it. It's good well, stuff. Sir. Well said. Thank you, Dave, for joining us, my friend. It's always been a pleasure. I love – this is what I call friendly fire. I love being on with guys that yeah. I know, I like, I trust, and it's a lot of fun. And and we'll save that story about the Olympics that I know with Steve Trainer for another show, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got I got a lot more off-ice stories. And so <laughs> I know a lot of them are probably uh, G-rated, so I can probably tell them. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Dave Jackson joining us here for again now here on the eye test on the sick podcast network. Dave, have a good one, brother. See you guys. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks a lot, David. Thank you. Steve trainer is one of our mutual friends that introduced me to Dave back in the day in Montreal. And they, he actually came over and was kind of Dave's assistant on the road at the Olympics. Yeah. Well, I, and they, they had some good times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he, um, his high school doesn't exist anymore. He went to Lindsay Place High School in Montreal. Oh, okay. And was that on the West Island? Yeah, it's out on the West Island. Okay. So now it's called St. Thomas. But there were uh, not a lot of distinguished athletic alumni from there, but Dave would definitely be one. There were two guys that actually made the NFL from his high school. Yeah. And I remember Ian Beckles and Bill Hitchcock um, back in the 90s, I want to say, late 80s, early 90s. But, uh, you know, it's it's – I've known Dave a long time. He really, he lived it. He did an unbelievable job over the course of his career. And that's why I brought up the different forms of officiating because he really, near the end, he was mangled physically. He was really beaten up. And uh, I remember talking to him. He said, this will be my last year. You know, I forget what city we were in, but he told me, he said, I can't, just can't move anymore. Yeah. And there are a lot of guys like that. Refereeing's way it's more. Real, it? Yeah. It's way more arduous than people think. Yep. I mean, uh, Don Van Massenhoven, you, Jimmy, I don't know if you're aware of this. He was doing a New Jersey-Florida Panther game, and he's a tough – Donnie Van Massenhoven, tough guy. He was an undercover policeman before he became yep. a referee. Really, really tough guy. He almost died on the ice in Florida. He got hit with a deflected puck off a slap shot. It's on YouTube somewhere. Okay. I'm telling you, it basically Is this when they didn't have the helmets. Yeah, but this basically caved half his face. And I'm not kidding you. He almost died. It was scary. And uh, I remember getting in touch with him when I heard about how significant the injury was. And he was just like, I'm just so grateful that I'm, I'm still here. You know, people don't really understand. These guys get hurt a lot more than yep. they really do. And they, they work out hard to keep in shape, too. I mean, just like the players. Yeah, I told you the story. That happens. I in Edmonton, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I go every day to work you out. You told me because you would see them all the time in the I gym, right? I guys all the time in the gym with me. Yeah. And I'd be like, these, these guys are perfect. Like, they care. Yeah. 
because when you're traveling with a team or you're traveling on TV, you're staying at different hotels. You just yeah. the only time back in the day you'd see them would be everybody would go to the same after hours place after a game to cool off, or then you know you'd go to the airport the next morning and you'd see right. them because you'd be flying somewhere else and they'd be flying somewhere. Now all the teams charter like that's part of the collective bargaining agreement, so you don't see the guys anymore. That's yeah. What makes it so I love different. what you said though about making their names more known, Pierre. And one of the questions I forgot to ask, and I should have followed it up then, was does he think that referees should be made available to the media again? Because yeah. I'm just gonna say before you go, and I know the, the pros and the cons, but one of my pros is that just as we just did learning so much from Dave in that conversation, yeah. right? And I'm sure fans out there who really maybe had a different view of refs, maybe right now they're looking at him and be like. Maybe these guys aren't that bad, you know, and they, they see a little from a different perspective. Giving them a window through the media to do that to the fans, to do that to the league might help that and might ease the abuse that they take. I don't know. The only thing I the league would want, I think, somebody that could control it and they just don't have that much manpower that they could have. Oh, in every arena. Person in every arena. Yeah. Out, but I like that idea that you brought up too, because I do think there's some merit to that. There should they should have a voice. Yeah. You know, it's like Dave said he's driving back from Boston and he's listening to Boston radio and they're killing him. Then he gets to Vermont and the Montreal yeah. guys are killed. And he doesn't have a chance to fight back. Not that no. he needs to fight back, but at least say, here's what I saw, this is what I did. Yeah. But, but, but I do think I, I know but League will probably say, no, we don't want them getting attention. But I think if you make the NHL, people mm -hmm. should know you made the NHL. Yeah. And and I, I don't know why you can't put a guy's name on the back of a sweater. Yeah. I, I just think it would help a lot. Like, I, I see these guys, Pierre, before. When I get in there early, like you always did, and, you know, they're out there and they're stretching and doing that. We just shoot the breeze. And I know, like, I can't ask them, well, what, what were you thinking on that call and stuff? So I leave that alone. <laughs> we just talk about life, you know, and. Yeah. And I just sit there and I'm wondering why why can't the, the public see this? See that that human side of the refs. You know, I just think it would help a lot. Something to that. No, I do. I think there's something to what you're saying, Jimmy. I do. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a way to compromise it or not, but I think the league has done a fantastic the league's the yeah. hockey's never been better. You would agree. Oh yeah. Hockey, the, the games themselves, the quality of play, it's never been better. Um officiating's hard. This game's so fast right now. It's it really for the officiating. You saw a game last night, Boston, Tampa. Those goalies were exquisite. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. some of the things, well, some of the things oh. he did, Vasilevsky, that was crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm going, wow, this is, this is fantastic goaltending. Really and we good. also saw a good call by one of the linesmen who got a goal call, uh, a goal call back. Remember? Or excuse me, goal allowed. It was Tampa scored, yeah, and, and and it was the right call. He saw it, and they went to it. And you know what? I noticed, Pierre, it was pretty funny. So right when they announced that it's it's uh, it's a goal, the crowd's booing, blah, blah, blah. But then they put the replay up there, and people are like, oh, all right, oops. <laughs> and so you could hear this sort of admittance like that the, of a portion of the crowd that was like, okay, sorry about that. We got that wrong. <laughs> you know, so I liked it. It was good. We must have a whack of questions. We do, team. and I want to. I think Tampa's a conversation we have to bring up too, man. If if he starts playing like that, watch out for them. They're dangerous in the first I agree, round. I agree with you, hundred percent. All right, let's go to these questions. Shane Oliver, back in '94 when the lockout was on, I was facing offers John Paddock at the Highlander in Winnipeg, 
and I swore Dave Jackson dropped the puck that there's no way someone from Montreal would work there. Not sure. I, I'm sorry I didn't see that, Shane. I would have asked him while he was on, but that's good stuff. It is a small world. The the 94 lockout, yeah, that didn't last very long, but I, you know, I, I remember it. I mean, yep. spent a lot of time in Prince Edward Island. That's where our farm team was back then. And uh, 94, yeah. Remember that was that uh, came back in January, like 2013. Yeah, came back like right around the first of January, and uh, spent a lot of time at the uh, in Prince Edward Island and Moncton and Fredericton. That's where the American Hockey League was back in those days. Spent a lot of Good. time out there. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, what do we got next? Alex Evanowski, there's been some debate about what the Bruins should do come trade deadline. I love Noah Hannafin, but they really need forwards to help with scoring. Do you think they need multiple pieces or just one piece? I'll just say quickly, I think they need Noah Hannafin because if they get a guy like that, the scoring even up front should increase. That's my opinion. I think he'll, he'll help you up there as well. If you get Noah Hannafin, um, I think it changes the rules of the game for everybody in, in uh, Boston and, and yep. in the Eastern Conference too. I think you know it really is a difference. That's a huge difference maker. I don't think That's they need forward right now. I really don't. Yeah. I think they have – they're going to win enough. Just their goaltending so good. Their defense is good now. It only gets better, and their power play is insane. I mean, yeah. When the you saw the chances last night, that Vasilevsky won that game for Tampa. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean they totally. went over six, but you got to call a spade a spade. They weren't. It was just one of those nights. You yeah, know? no. And he played. He played. Vasilevsky yeah. was phenomenal in that game. He yeah. Was really, and you know what? You got a chance to see him live. How many people have the opportunity to see you know Kucherov play live? Every single night. Pierre. That artist, man. He's artistry and unbelievable. He, you know, I heard somebody say it. I don't know who it was, so I apologize. I can't give you credit, but it was a great it was a great um description. He somehow makes himself invisible on the ice. I, I, do you get what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's just all yeah. of a sudden he's there, and the defenseman's like, How the hell did that happen? It's he's it's amazing the, the way he senses things. He's just crafty, yeah. amazingly aware. Oh. Yeah, the awareness yeah. is unreal. All right, what do we got next? D Relaxation Music says, do you see someone like David Savard being traded to Tampa Bay, built for the playoffs and also familiar with Tampa Bay? Funny, Pierre and I were texting that last night. Yeah, we were. And there were a lot of scouts there. One other thing, night. too, without Svechnikov, or, yeah, uh, Sergachev, Svechnikov, without Sergachev, excuse me, um, <laughs> They need help on the back end. They're playing yeah. a lot of guys you know, you've never heard of before unless you're a big fan of junior or college hockey. The yeah. one thing I'd say is Perbix has had a really good year for them. You know, St. Cloud kid, he's he's done a really good job for them. Mm -hmm. uh, their scouting staff should be really – take a pat on the back for that one. That kid's turned out to be a good player. By the way, check uh, Saranac's stats from last night, Pierre. A Turn goal, <laughs> three, three shots, and nine hits. I mean, he's a beast. So he, he needs to do that when he's not physical, and he knows it. I've heard him like talk to himself when I've been down there. If he's right. not physical, he, he can't get it done. He's like, i got to hit that guy. His yeah. game revolves around that. Yeah. He just yeah. needs that nasty little thing inside of him. And there's some guys, you meet them off the edge, and you're going, there's no way that guy's a physical guy. Then you see him like go on the edge, the guy's like a <laughs> lunatic. And you're, he's everywhere. Who is that guy? Yeah. Something yeah. Just happened. I'll give you an example. And I'll say it, Mike Keenan's a really good friend of mine. Like I, yep. Mike and I get along really well. And being totally transparent, in 2000 when they had the Y2K, Mike Keenan came and spent three or four days at my house in Canada. 
and we had a great time. Really good time. Everything was shut down. First yep. time one of us had to work in hockey. <laughs> and uh, I would just tell you, Mike Keenan at the rink is completely different than Mike Keenan away from the rink. Like, yes. they're two totally different humanoids. Yep. And I'm telling you, the guy away from the rink is spectacular. Mm-hmm. He's versed in everything. He's well-spoken. He's well-read. He's really versed well in music. Like he, He's a really smart guy and totally fun to be around. But at the rink? Not so much fun. Well, Pierre, Pierre, you can attest to this. I mean, I, I think one of the, and when I started covering the game more and I started to realize this, one of the, the best revelations about hockey was fighters in the rink and fighters away from the rink. I mean, they are the most laid back, cerebral guys, most of them, and just want to talk and hang out and they're nice guys. They do a ton for charity, but then they're on the ice. You don't want to mess with them. You know, I, I think about back in the day, Timmy Hunter, or I think about Basil McRae. You know, I think about George Larac. I think about yep. Jim McKenzie. I had the chance to coach and think the oh, world of Jimmy. Jimmy was such a tough guy. Oh, my gosh. He had to do a lot of heavy lifting. I had a guy named Mark Jansen. One of the, he's been so yep. successful away from the ice. But on the ice, he knew what he had to do to survive in the league. And he was a tough guy. Like he, and yep. he was a lefty, too. He could really throw left-handed. Ty Domi. You know, you meet Ty Domi away from the rink, unbelievable. He does you so much. Maybe did what he, yeah. You never know. Like, that's Ty Domi. He's a really nice <laughs> man, and, and he's a ton of fun to be around. One of the great things I get the opportunity to do, Jimmy, is go to Maryland News Fantasy Camp and be part of it, uh, yeah. coaching, running practices. Ty comes. And oh, wow. He, he's not a penguin. Trust me, when he played in New York and the penguins played the Rangers, Ty wasn't popular. Yeah. He just yeah. wasn't a popular guy. Yeah. But when you meet him, you're like, well, this guy could have been a penguin. He's a pretty good yeah. guy. You know yeah. what I mean? He fits in with the group. So it's kind of neat. It's, it's, it's to your point. The tough guys sometimes are a little squirrely at the rink and away from the rink. They're so nice. Oh, they're awesome. They're fun to talk to. All right, next question. Jeffrey B. Andy Kopitar went minus six last night. Even mm-hmm. with the new coach bump, L.A. has still been unable to string wins together. Are we concerned the culture may be taking a hit? You know, Jeffrey B., you read my mind, you read Pierre's mind, because that's one of the things we want to talk about. That, that bump of, has not happened there. It just hasn't. I don't know what to say. And I feel no. bad. Sid Hill is a great guy, and we want to see him do well, but it's not his fault. I mean, there's something wrong with that roster. There's I, I something, think goal there's something, there's something wrong, wrong with goaltending there. You know, you see it last night. The goaltending wasn't great. Um, Drew Doughty had an uncharacteristically bad game. You know, he had a tough game last night he'd be the first he that's what i admire about drew he's so hard on himself yeah had obviously a really tough night um this is a huge road trip for la jimmy huge road trip the good news for them is you know arizona's not really putting a lot of points in the bank nashville had a tough loss on home ice last night against new jersey so and st louis lost last night in toronto and they weren't very good it makes you wonder after they won in montreal what kind of Super Bowl party they had because they were they were no good on Tuesday, so it's usually two days after. Yeah, they, they weren't particularly good in Toronto last night. Um, so that's the good news for LA. The bad news is they're still on this road trip and they better wake up. They better wake they gotta, up. They got to. They got to. And I've been seeing uh, one or sometimes two of their scouts at Bruins games recently. And Pierre, one more thing on LA too that I think you know we I don't want to beat a dead horse, but PLD. I mean, he's got a Pierre Luc Dubois got to step it up. That's a big thing. Something's wrong. I don't. I don't get it. I just. I remember watching him play afternoon games in Montreal when he was in Columbus, mm-hmm. and he, like, he was a superstar. Yeah, 
wasn't like he was a little bit good. He was a superstar, Jimmy. No, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's happened to this? Like it's crazy. Yeah, he needs a reset. He needs a reset. Well, I don't know how well, he gets that. He went from Columbus to Winnipeg. Yeah, there's one reset. Then he goes from Winnipeg to LA. That's a substantial. You go from Columbus to Winnipeg yep. to LA. That's a substantial reset. Right. I'm saying more mental, Pierre. He needs to just get away from the game. I think. Something has to happen. I don't know what it is, but he he doesn't seem to have the passion for the game that he used to have. That's, too that's bad. what that's I think like, it is. That's heartbreaking. I find that heartbreaking. Like seriously, yeah, I hope I'm wrong. It just, well, it just I don't think I don't think yeah. There's something wrong. There's something yeah, wrong. There. It really is. All right, next question. All right, guys. You know I had to get you a question from out here on the ODR. Uh, you got to be careful <laughs> about encouraging these video questions because I will keep sending them. It's just too vital for my mental health. Uh, whenever my wife is dogging me out, I just go to my happy place and I think, well, at least Jimmy and Pierre think I'm smart on the eye test. Um, this week I had a question lined up that had nothing at all to do with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I swear to God. Uh, but then I saw that Kyle Dubas had handed Jesse Pugliarvi a two-year contract. And, man, am I rooting for this kid. He has such a great attitude, a great vibe. Um, he has really battled back. Um, and he's obviously talented, but I just look at the record of hip surgeries, of which I'm aware, at least. Um, you look at what happened with Nicholas Backstrom. Um, you look at Patrick Kane right now, and you wonder if he really is going to make this comeback. Um, so I just wonder what you guys thought. Um, how do you think Pugliarvi might fit in with the Penguins? And how confident are you that he is going to make this comeback? It's great. Great question. I love, I love the way he asked it. <laughs> Well, we're here for you, brother. Don't worry. Cool. Anytime you need. <laughs> now, he says the outdoor rink, but is he in Iceland there? Where is he? I'm not sure. I don't know. He, He'll tell us right now. Hey, parts you know. us know. He sends um, us questions from all over the place. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, I'm with him, man. I hope that kid makes it there. I really do. So I'm going to give you the realistic part of it. If you look at his numbers from the time he left Finland, um, to his NHL rival, it's been one real solid offensive year in Edmonton, and outside of that, it has not been. Mm -hmm. And so I'm concerned that there might be a pace issue. The one thing Pittsburgh needs is they need more depth scoring, especially if Nola Chari is going to be out for a long time, and yeah. he might be. So that's a bit of an issue, and maybe that's where he can help them. I know right now they have him playing on a second line with the centerman being Evgeny Malkin and Riley Smith playing on the other side, but I, I just don't know. I'll be totally frank. I'm cheering for him. I just don't know if the pace is going to be there. I, I don't, and that's the biggest yeah. issue. You well, just, he brought up that hip surgery stuff. I mean, that's just to have that happen so early is tough mentally and physically. All right, we got one more question here, and it's another video question from Shane. Uh, what do we got, Mister Hughes? What's the plan, buds? Why are you bringing in Sean Monahan not once but twice to fill a role that anybody can fill in the organization? Because of this move, because of one player, we missed out on one through four last year and possibly one through four this year. I just, I want to know why. Tell me why. Tell me the story. Tell me the plan. Uh, well, I think Montreal has a plan, though, Jimmy. I, I, I love, I love the acting in the theatric yeah. part of the question that's really good. <laughs> that room? the memorabilia room is phenomenal for shane yes, it's awesome for sure um but i do think montreal has a plan i think they have a well thought out plan um you know when you look at it how's Slavkowski doing 
pretty good. Was that not a great scene when he got second star at a game? I don't yeah, know if you saw it no, here. He was having so much fun with the fans. Logan Mayu, like you can start going down the line, Trudeau down, down in the uh, American Hockey League. Start looking at some of their guys coming along. Jacob Fowler, who's just one of the top 10 uh, nominees for the Richter Award, which is the best goal in U.S. college hockey. He's a freshman. He just got a name to that list today. So, you know, you can go to Lane Hudson. I mean, let's keep going. If you, I mean, there's so many guys. Mm-hmm. Montreal's in a pretty good position, I think, long term. I really do. And I think Jeff and, and um, Kent have done a really nice job there. I really do. And you know what I think is going to be key here? And you brought this up and you hammered this home to me about why you really truly believe it will work. The rebuild that they're going through is ownership is right behind them. And they have that firm belief in how important you've, you've lived it, Pierre, and you know how important it is for everyone to be on the same page, no matter what, and have that patience. And to have it in a city in a market like Montreal takes a lot, but so far, so good. I think they've done a good job of just staying the course and blocking things out. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. It's going to take about 35 seconds. Okay. A friend of mine was a very successful NHL coach, head coach, and he became available and was on the market and all these teams were lining up to give him offers. And he chose one of the teams because the owner said, if you take this offer, you're going to be, let's just call it a blue Jay for life. Even though that wasn't the name of the team, you'll be a blue Jay for life. And when he got fired two years later, he said to me, I didn't know I only had two years to live. I'll never forget that. It was unbelievable. And so the owner was clearly on board, but then after two years, he wasn't so much on board. Yeah. I think Jeff Molson is completely on board with what Jeff Gordon and and, uh, Kent Hughes are doing. And to an extension, Marty St. Louis, too. I think he's the perfect I was at their golf tournament last fall. They're all singing from the same song, but they're all very unified. They sit together. There's no dysfunction in their group. They're all all believing what they have to do. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we want to thank Dave Jackson for joining us here on the eye test today. And, of course, our production crew finally back in Montreal. Welcome back, guys, and everybody in the chat room here and listening at home. We appreciate it. Pierre, that was a good one. I, you know, I always have fun talking with Dave, but he's he's better than the last time I spoke to him. It's it's so fun listening to him, listening to him engage with ideas as well. And like I said, I think there needs to be more of that around the league. Well said. Um, we have Johnny Lou tomorrow from Winnipeg. Yep. He's our he's now officially our Winnipeg correspondent. <laughs> and so we'll, we'll be asking Johnny about the Winnipeg Jets and about his time in Montreal and his time at. The great TSN, you know, Dave talked about how much he enjoyed working at ESPN for 11 and a half years. I worked at uh, TSN and uh, I, one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my career. Yeah. I'm forever grateful for having worked there. So uh, great to hear what Johnny Lou has to say and can't do that. And then on Friday, Brett Riley from Fairbanks, Alaska. Yes. Uh, one of the great young talents in U.S. college coaching at Long Island University, and uh, he's he's like this, Jimmy. He's skyrocket. He's going up quick, real quick. Good. We're going to say we knew him when, right? That's right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, listen, we appreciate, again, Dave Jackson joining us. And, uh, Pierre, we will talk later. You know, I want to get to some games from last night, but I'm going to keep my ideas because they're a little timeless, so we'll still be able to address it tomorrow. Uh, I will say, though. Two things I want to say before we go about last night, Okay. 
I'm a fan of Anaheim and so are you. Cronin's mm -hmm. one of our good buddies on the show and we think the world of Greg Cronin. Some of those guys got to look in the mirror today. They only had 13 shots on goal in Montreal last night. That's, yeah. come on, boys. That's you got to bring a little bit more than that. And you could tell right from the drop of the first puck, those guys weren't engaged. And I got to think Greg was probably furious about that. And then the other thing, Chicago Blackhawks, I know they don't have their best player. I get it. He's 18 years old. Don't tell me you can only get one shot on goal in the first 20 minutes of the game. I know. Like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Have some pride. Yes. Some pride. And you're 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 playing for jobs right now. They, they need to start to accept that. You I, know? I'm watching. I'm going, what's going yeah. on? Come on, man. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. But I was glad, Pierre, the other thing I said, and I want to expand on it because they brought up earlier, we talked about the no coach bump in L.A., I want to ask you about the what seemingly right now hasn't been that great a bump in Long Island from Patrick Waugh and maybe why sometimes it's not always the coach. Like we say, it's the roster. But if you can't fire the whole roster, something else has got to change sometimes, if you know what I mean. I, I just think that some of these coaches have been real victims of roster construction and they paid the price. And now we're seeing a lot that it, it wasn't the coach. So. I want to expand on that tomorrow, but thanks to everyone for joining us. We will talk to you tomorrow on the eye test on the sick podcast network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.